week, Paul uh, was thankful for the Philippians, for their partnership with him uh, in his suffering and in the work of the gospel. And today we're going to look at his confidence and his fellowship uh, with them. And so uh, the uh, text we're going to look at is Philippians 1, verses 6 through 8. Uh, And uh, before I read that, let me pray, and then we'll jump in on it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for, um, well, just the confidence that we have, not in ourselves or uh, even in uh, our our ability to, uh, or our talents or our gifts, uh, but our soul confidence today, humbly but wonderfully, is in you. And so I pray that you would uh, uh, help us today by your spirit uh, to take this objective truth that you uh, finished the work that you began uh, and that it would shape our lives. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Philippians 1, 6 through 8, uh, text is in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. Uh, this is God's word. We should hear it. And respond to it as such this morning. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So, um, Scott, go ahead and put my notes up there. So two things jump out at, the, at, at us out of this text. The, the first one is, is that God finishes what he starts. And then the second one is the nature of uh, 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 Christian fellowship. So one of the things that is, uh, is so profound about this passage and, and one of the things that really we could just spend the whole hour today. I'm not going to do that, but we could spend the whole hour today just on this fact that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And I, I want you to think about that um, because that is the fountainhead and the foundation of all our hope. Not in your uh, performance, not in your struggle, not in your victories. Not in your losses, but in this God who has begun a work and will bring it to completion. It's an important thing for us to to think of today because there are so many temptations that would come against us, that would tempt us to think that this is not true or that somehow or other because of my failing, because of the failings of others, because of the uh, the terrible uh, suffering that some of us may be experiencing, the disorientation that we may have, whatever it is, that somehow or other God is no longer at work. But the scripture is clear. God finishes his work. Um, it is a remarkable characteristic of God that whatever he begins, he finishes. Um, One of the things that I think is true of us is that for many of us, that is not true. And frankly, for many of us, we start things that we shouldn't start, right? We, we, sometimes we put ourselves on the track to do something that we shouldn't have done in the first place, and so we don't finish. Sometimes, uh, we, uh, 
uh, get involved in something. We make promises. We make commitments. And just because of our weakness or our inability, we just can't. We can't finish it. Um, it happens, doesn't it? But God makes a commitment and always brings it to completion. Um, one, one of the things that um, I've realized about myself, I'm not very godlike in this. Uh, we were with family, I think back at Easter, that was in April. Uh, and uh, in our backyard, we've been working on our backyard. You can't tell it, but we have. And so um, uh, we had these really nasty chairs, and Marty was like, I want to get some new chairs, this kind of stuff. So being the, the you know, great man that I am, I said, sweetie, let me take care of that. I'm going to get you some nice Adirondack chairs to put back here in the backyard. It was, it was just in April. And so um, we ordered them a week or two ago. <laughs> and, um, and they came. And um, they, they made an offer to us, the company that shipped them to us, like for $70 a chair, uh, they would assemble them for us. I'm like, $70? Come on, I can do this. So we started on putting them together last Saturday, and uh, I got to working on one, and um, I finished that one, and got the other another one out of the box, the pieces out of the box, and then decided that college football was a better way to spend my Saturday afternoon than uh, putting the chairs together because it was hard. Uh, and the first piece that we connected and putting the chairs together was the wrong piece. And um, I didn't have the right kind of electronic tool to put the 17 screws in that each one has. And so my hand got tired. And so uh, we have one and one's out of the box. And I'm sure by Easter, you know, we'll be able to enjoy the Adirondack chairs in the in the backyard, right? So, so one of the things I've learned about myself in that is that I'm just not very godlike in that way, right? Uh, one of the characteristics of God that we probably miss out on most often is his determination and his commitment uh, uh, to uh, complete this work, right? And so what we see here is Paul is thinking about this church in Philippi as he's thinking about who they are. He has great joy because he knows that God's at work in them. Uh, he knows that God is at work in them because they, of their generosity, their prayer, their fellowship with him and his mission. Because remember, it's been 10 years since Paul has been in Philippi. And there he is now in prison, and he, uh, they have sent him this gift, and he is so grateful. And But he's not just grateful to them. He's grateful in the sense that this gift that they've given to him is an evidence to him that God is at work in uh, these people, Right. Uh, but not only that, uh, Paul recognizes that from the very beginning, even before the very beginning, God was at work in the people there in Philippi. You remember how <clears throat> Paul ended up in Philippi. He wanted to go somewhere else. But the Holy Spirit kept blocking him and kept, kept him from going other places. And then, and then he has that dream of the, the, the Macedonian man saying, come, come over and help us. And so they go to Philippi. 
He goes out to the riverside and he sees Lydia and some women in her household. He preaches the gospel. The God's at work, Lydia believes. A few days later, they're in the marketplace day after day. And there's a slave girl who is possessed of a demon that her owners use to predict the future. Paul casts the demon out. And then there's the Philippian jailer who, because of... uh, uh, of, of the uh, the earthquake and this fear that everyone is going to leave the jail and he's going to have to die, he's going to kill himself. Paul tells him the gospel and he believes. God was at work. He was at work even before you and I were ever born. God was at work in determining and setting his love upon us before the world was made. And so that determination is, rests in the eternal heart and purpose of God. And there is no force, no person, no sin, no struggle, no thing in this universe that will keep God from bringing to completion the work that he has begun in his people. That is certain. That is what we bank on. That is what we rest in. And that is the source of our confidence. And so you may be here today struggling, you may be here today uh, 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 guilt-ridden and shame-ridden, but the fact of the matter is, if you are in Christ today, we have the confidence that one day he will present you to his Father spotless. You don't feel very spotless now. You wonder if God's forgotten about you, but the truth of the matter is, this promise of his is what we bank on. So from the very beginning until the very end, God will bring to completion the work that he's begun in us. Next next slide, please, Scott. And so the, the great news for that, for us, is if, if, if God's at work in us, then we can work. That we're set free. That our fears of, of, of failure or our fears of, of, of falling apart or our fears of, of, of whatever it might be or our guilt or whatever that may hold us back from experiencing the freedom that this promise gives us is done away with. We don't have to fear that our work is in vain because we have the promise of God. We have the work that he has done, that he has begun in us, and we know that he will bring it to completion. So all of those things that may set you back or keep you from experiencing the fullness of what Jesus Christ lived and died and rose to give you, this promise sets us free from all of that, right? So God's involvement, his initiative, his preservation of us is the very ground of our experience of confidence in the Christian life, right? We sing the great hymn, you know, Amazing Grace. Through many dangerous toils and snares have already come. Grace has brought me safe thus far. And then the next line, and I'll take it from here. No, 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 no. Right? You got me this far, God. I'll take it the rest of the way. Right? Grace will lead us home. But here's the thing that you need to see about this. And this, this, this makes this truth, to me anyway, even richer. And it's this. It's not just that God has promised to you as an individual that he will see you through to the end. It's not just that God has begun this work in you as an individual and he will get you there. But this is a promise to the church. This is a promise to all of us. This is a promise to all of the people of God. So that when we look across the room, what we recognize is, yes, I am caught up in this promise. But God has said he has a people to himself. They belong to him and he will see them through to the end. 
the, the, the future of the church of Jesus Christ is sure. It is secure. It is settled. We can rest in that. Now, we wring our hands and we see the effectiveness and the power and the, and, and, of the church wax and wane over days and that sort of stuff. But here's the thing. The truth is, Jesus loves the church, God loves the church, and he has said he who began a good work in the church, in his people, will see it through. And the whole universe will see it. That the faithfulness of God will be demonstrated once and for all on that last great day where all of God's people, this church, that he has gathered from all the corners of the world and that he has seen them through all those troubles and struggles and sins and failures and temptations to depression and despair and our undoing, he gets us there. All of us. Not one will be lost. Don't fret about the future of the church. We should repent. Yes, we should We should cry out to God to make us faithful, but you don't have to worry about God being faithful. He is, and he will see us through, all of us, as his people. That's our confidence. Next slide. Um, We read the the promise that Jesus made to, to Peter, right, that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. That gives me uh, a sense of confidence today because uh, I am tempted so often to despair, right? Are you? Are you? Now, there are plenty of things in this life we should despair of. We should despair of our own works to make us right with God. We should despair of our own performance. We should despair of our ability to, to uh, in and of ourselves to make ourselves right with God. But don't you ever despair of the hope that this God has made a promise that he will see you through to the end. Sometimes, I think in our church, we make despair a virtue. And despair, especially when we despair of our good God, is a sin to be repented of. No need to despair of the work that God does. He will bring it to completion. But there's also a bit of news about this for us too, and that's this, that this work that he has begun in us will not be complete in this life. You and I are a work in progress. And that is such a bummer because I need you to be better, right? <laughs> I need God to speed his work up in you. Come on, come on. You can do a little better, right? So, but the, but the, the great news in that is, is that, we, that, that God has, has promised to see us through to the very end. But this, this, the fruition of that promise, the completion of that work is not going to happen on this earth. We are still a work in progress, and the power of sin and death still is, is here, but it doesn't get the final word, and on the final day, God does. But until that day, we, we certainly should be patient with one another. We should be willing to point out to one another, I see the work of God in you. 
when we see it, when we hear it, we should be quick to say, hey, just be encouraged. There's the work of God in you right now, right? But that's not all that Paul has to say here, right? There's, he, has this, he has this deep affection uh, for these people there in, in uh, uh, Philippi. And he, he says some, some interesting things, right? He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you all are partakers with me of grace. That is, they, they have a common confession, right? Both in his imprisonment and his defense and confirmation of the gospel, for God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. You see, the unity of the church here, Paul is united to them. Uh, they belong to him. He belongs to them. Remember, it's been 10 years since he's been there. Certainly the church has grown. And certainly he, you know, the, the, uh, there are probably people who worship in that church that he's never met. And yet he, he has an affection for them. He loves them. They love him. They sent him a gift. He prays for them. They pray for him. They, they have this warm uh, a loving relationship. And why is that? Because the unity of the church is based on our common experience of and embrace of the sovereign saving grace of God in Jesus Christ and the mission that grows out of that. That is where our unity is found. We look for unity in politics. We look for unity in uh, race. We look for unity in generations. We look for unity and all of these other things. But the church is unique in the sense that what unites us across time, across space, across all of these divisions is is the common confession that we have that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what unites us. That is what puts us together. That is that that common confession and then our participation together in his mission to proclaim that message to every corner of the world is the thing that unites us. That is what that's what brings us together. We are in a season, a very fractious season, aren't we? Elections, you know, it's it's funny. I've lived in Virginia now over over 30 years. And the crazy thing about Virginia is we have an election every year. Did you know that? That's by design. An election every year because our, our, our governor and our uh, uh, part of our state legislature is on the off, off years. Like, so we don't elect a governor this year. We elect them next year. Isn't that, isn't that great? So th- there's always an election. Isn't that just wonderful? Don't you love democracy? I think it's awesome. We have an opportunity to see those ads, lion so-and-so, and so-and-so's in the hip pocket of some terrible person, and did you know they did this, and they did that, and on and on and on. We get to do that every year, every year. I would miss it if we didn't do that, right? You see, by, by definition, elections are divisive. You make a choice. And you think the person next to you, even though they may your brother, be your brother or sister in Christ, before God makes a different choice and you, you're tempted to hate them or despise them or think they're stupid or think they're, and they think the same of you. When the fact is we, when, we, when we look at those, our unity being sourced out of those sorts of things, there's no wonder that it's a false unity. 
But if we have a unity in the eternal God who says that he will, has come and lived our life, died our death, risen again for us, and will come again to, to judge us and to once and for all bring to completion that the work he has begun, if that is what unites us, then that is certain and that is sure because that is eternal. That is rooted in the very heart and existence of God, right? And so, but not only, not only do, do we have this common confession and this common mission, but we also have a common experience of suffering. Paul and the Philippians understand something about each other that only believers understand with other believers when it comes to suffering, right? I mean, that is a, that is a, that's why the New Testament talks about suffering so much is because we understand that as we lament our pain, as we struggle against suffering, we do that in the context of, a, of knowing and being known by a loving God. And so that when you grieve, and I grieve, we don't grieve like the world. We grieve like believers. That's something that we have in common. So, so Paul here has this understanding so that, that when we uh, uh, join with one another at a, at a memorial service, when we join at the, at the hospital bed of, of someone who's sick, when, when we join praying over, laying hands on the infertile couple, when, when, we, when we do those things, we do those things. It, it's an expression of our fellowship that we know, that we understand that we are suffering, yes, but we are suffering in hope and we are suffering in the reality of this God who says he is bringing even the, uh, using even these kinds of things to bring to completion the work that he has begun in us. You see, we have this not only do we have a common faith, but we have a common faith that expresses itself in mission, but also expresses itself in the way in which we deal with our suffering. Next slide, please, Scott. It's 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 this thing that we that we that we recognize right that this God that we worship does not slumber or sleep. He's our keeper. Nothing keeps him. Nothing keeps him. Nothing keeps him from his work in and through his people. And that that. Even, even, a, even our suffering comes under his lordship and comes under the understanding that he even takes those things which seem like they would be our undoing are actually the means whereby the mission of God, the work of Christ, abounds more and more. Next slide. Um. I came across this quote this week, and I think, it, I think it's, it's pretty profound. When, when we can truly grasp that nothing in heaven or on earth can take away the life we have in Christ, we can release our grip from our own obsession with self-preservation and trust them to our creator. This is how goodness and mercy can follow us even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This is why those who lose their life will find it. This is what it means that though put to death, not a hair on your head will perish. 
This is the reason, like Job, we can lift our eyes in worship, declare with Paul that to die is gain, and sing along with the reformer Martin Luther, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. This is no false assurance. This is our eternal hope in Jesus Christ. As I was thinking about uh, this this week, that the completion of this work, you know, it, we are tempted all the time, right, to think that suffering, sin, difficulty, somehow or other thwarts God's purpose. We think that, don't we? It sure looks like that to us sometimes. Right? And and it does leave us sometimes with a sense of, I... I I don't fully understand what is happening. But I do know someone who does. And I do know someone who has promised to me to bring to completion this work. And so even death and sin, viruses, disunity, those things are not eternal. Not for those of us in Christ. And so we eagerly anticipate the day where Jesus presents us as his bride, the church, his body to his Father in heaven. And so my friends, you may be struggling today and hope may be burning dim in you. Uh, You may think uh, and you may be tempted to despair and despondency. Um, But hear these words that you have brothers and sisters with you who share with with you your sufferings with the sufferings of Christ, who share with you a common confession and who rest our hope in this, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. And yet again, To those of you who can't believe that, who struggle to believe that today, that's why this promise is given to the church and not just to individuals. You have brothers and sisters who love you enough to believe that and to encourage you in believing that when you can't. And they take you to Jesus. And they cry out for you. And they wrestle to see you in hope and in faith come to grips with this great promise from our God. Let's ask him to give us hope in this today. Lord, we, as we come to you this morning, we pray that you would help us. We are weak, distracted, uh, tempted often despairing, often hopeless. pray that you would forgive us of that, and I pray that you would help us uh, as a body uh, to bear with one another uh, in uh, our suffering and in our despair, uh, our temptation to despair. pray that you would help us to remind one another uh, that you who began this work will bring it to full completion. Lord, I I pray, uh, too, that you would unite us uh, as a body around this confession that your Lord, uh, that uh, that your gospel is true.
and that we have a place in your mission together. Would you do that work uh, in us and through us this morning, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to use this great Lutheran prayer uh, to uh, confess our sins. And, uh, I, you know, I, I do these things periodically, and um, you're going to have to bear with me. Um, sometimes I think uh, when we do our confession of sin here, uh, we, uh, because we're doing it in unison, um, we sometimes tend to not really think about what we're reading. We're just kind of reciting. And so I want to lead you in the confession of sin today. I want you to just listen as we go through this because I want to take some time to do this because there's a a giant list of possible sins. And I know you well enough to know that one of these applies to at least each of you. (laughs) A whole bunch of them apply to me. And so I would hate for us to gloss over this when you have a great opportunity to confess your sins and experience this great promise that this sin doesn't keep God from completing the work that he's doing in you. So listen as I, along with you, confess sins. I'll read it out loud. You confess Quietly. I am a poor sinner. I confess before you, my God and Creator, that I have grievously sinned against you in many ways, not only by gross outward sins, but much more through inward natural blindness, unbelief. Doubts, despondency, impatience, pride, covetousness, secret envy, hatred, malice, and other sinful affections which you see in me, my Lord and my God, and which, alas, I cannot always see in myself. I repent of these and cry to you for, for your mercy Through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So believers, hear the good news. This is from your God 
who uh, begins a good work and brings it to completion. He says this to you this morning. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen.